chapter 5. And we're continuing in our series on red letter living. Red letter living is the only kind of living to live. Red letter living. Red letters are the words of Jesus in the Bible. And of course, the whole Bible is the Word of God, but we're looking at some of the, the uh, more standout things that Jesus said. And certainly they are in the Beatitudes. Now, what are we calling the Beatitudes, everybody? The Be Happy Attitudes. God bless you. No one in the first service got that except Kathy, and she gets a gold star. Well, it's the Be Happy Attitudes. The Beatitudes are Jesus' opening salvo to the whole Sermon on the Mount. And He's telling us eight ways to the blessing of God. Now, I think I'm talking to people who want to be blessed today. If I am, can you say amen if you want to be blessed? Anybody in here want to be cursed? I didn't think so. We all want to be blessed. Well, every one of the Beatitudes opens up with blessed are thee or blessed are those. Jesus is telling us how to be blessed. And there's eight of them. And so let's look at what, it, what uh, the roadway to blessing is. Let's read the Beatitudes together, can we? Beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, which I didn't get to last week and I won't today either. You're going to have to get last week's early service tape. Y'all preached me out on the first one last week. So the pure of heart is on the the tape of last week's early service because I got to move along down the road here. So praise the Lord for CDs and for cassettes. Even the rocks will cry out. All right. But the, the pure in heart will see God, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, and blessed are they who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will bless it to our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me today. I receive your word change me with it. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, let's remember what blessed means. Blessed means happy. And I want you to understand that happiness is not the way we understand it. Kingdom happiness is very different. Matter of fact, I think the better word is joy. Joy is far superior to happiness because happiness depends on a happening, a happening that makes us happy. But joy is not dependent on any happening. Bible joy springs from within out of a heart that has been saved. Jesus said, I'm going to put in you the living waters, the Spirit of God, and those waters will spring up into everlasting life. That's talking about joy, the joy of the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I immediately experienced joy joy unspeakable and filled or full of glory. And so that's what New Testament living brings to us, not happiness, because happiness comes and goes. Happiness is a fickle thing, but joy is a constant as long as you walk in obedience to the kingdom of God, to the Word of God. So blessed means happy, to be envied, 
and spiritually prosperous with joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of what's happening out here. So can you say with me, joy is superior to happiness. We want joy. We want the joy that springs from the Holy Ghost. Now, I've shared with you that these Beatitudes, in my opinion, are a depiction of the progression of a spiritual life. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, I see this as somebody who is on the verge of being saved. Blessed are those who realize they are spiritually in poverty. Jesus said, you say that you are rich, but you're blind. Because if you could see yourself the way God sees you, you would see that you are miserable, wretched, poor, and blind, and naked prior to being saved. You may have a lot of money in the bank, but you have nothing on the inside. And Jesus said that life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. Life consists in whose you are, not in what you possess, according to Jesus Christ. He said, life comes from knowing me. And so I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire. Now he said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not far from you when you realize you're in spiritual poverty and you need God. And then here comes the next step. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I see that as somebody who is convicted over sin. There's not anything blessed about walking around mourning all the time. There is a difference between depression and mourning over your sin. Because the Bible says that the worldly sorrow leads to death. But godly sorrow, sorrow over your sin, leads to repentance, which leads to life. So blessed are those who then mourn. So here is a progression. This person is having a revelation. They are being dealt with by the Holy Spirit of God. And first they're realizing poverty in spirit. Then they're mourning over their sin. He says, then those will be comforted with the joy of salvation. And now they're moving on. Now, character attributes that we find depicted and modeled for us in Jesus Christ are now being revealed. Blessed are the meek, for they shall possess or inherit the earth. Meekness is strength held back. Meekness is a life under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what meekness is. Meekness is, I could, but I won't. I won't because I'm under check. I'm under the check of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in control of my life. That's what meekness is. So as the Holy Spirit takes control of us, we begin to experience meekness. So now this person is developing spiritual godly character. And then it moves on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they're going to be filled. Did you notice when you got saved that what you used to love you started hating and what you used to hate you started to love? I used to open up this Bible way long ago before I ever knew Christ. I opened up a Bible once or twice, and it just looked so boring to me. I read a few verses, wouldest, shouldest, couldest, thee, thou, and all of this stuff, and I thought, what a boring book. But after I got saved, I opened up the Bible, and I began to feed on the Bible because Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. This Bible was written to proclaim Christ to the world, but to feed the saints. And so we begin to experience a hungering and a thirsting after 
after those things that please God. That's the new nature in us. Amen? It says those people will be filled. So here is somebody now beginning to walk in meekness, beginning to have a hungering and a thirsting after the things of God, and now they're moving on in character. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is just seeing somebody in need, seeing somebody in trouble, and having compassion on them. You know, there's Kenny. He goes down to the juvenile home. Those kids are in need. Their lives are broken. They're on the way to being destroyed. And a believer looks at something like that, and and something rises up within you. It is the compassion of Christ. It's the mercy of God. You remember where you came from, and you know that He can change them just like He changed you. And so you want to have some mercy. God does not raise up religious Pharisees. He raises up merciful lovers. Come on, everybody. And now here's this person experiencing mercy, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, walking in meekness, and now they move on to the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. How do we have purity of heart? The Bible says, wherewithal shall a young man or a young woman cleanse their way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. We are saved. When we get saved, a holy spirit comes to live within us. Not a dirty spirit, not a filthy spirit, not a vile spirit, a Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And that Holy Spirit goes to work to lead us into a holy life. And so we find ourselves repelled by things we used to involve ourselves in because now we've got a Holy Spirit and the Word of God is cutting away on our fleshly heart. And so we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And a part of that process is to experience purity of heart. But now He comes to the one we're going to talk about today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Can you say with me, peacemakers? Not peace breakers, but peacemakers. Now, as we worship the Prince of Peace today, the world has certainly not been conquered by peace or peacemakers, has it? Our world is a world filled with trouble and filled with violence. Right now as we speak, as I stand before you, North Korea has an intercontinental ballistic missile aimed at our west coast. We may take it out before it's even launched or we may not. We may take it out in space. But the fact of the matter is they have armed themselves and are now threatening the west. Islamic terrorists are working overtime to find a way to destroy our country and our way of life. Iran has ignored the international community and continues its pursuit of the nuclear bomb. A fierce battle for Iraq's future as a free country is being waged, and the entire Middle East is a pressure cooker waiting to explode, and it will explode, likely in our lifetime. Ezekiel 38 prophesies something that has never happened in all of history. It is yet to be fulfilled. That a conglomeration of nations would come together against Israel and come down against Israel like a mighty horde of enemies. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 38, you ought to read about it when you get home. The, The Bible predicts Russia will be involved. The Bible predicts ancient Persia will be involved, which is now the land mass that comprises Iran and Iraq. The Bible names the nations, tags them 
labels them, identifies them, and says the day will come when they will conspire together to wipe Israel off the map, and God will intervene. The day may very well come that you and I wake up someday and turn on the television to see the Middle East under a vicious attack, fire and smoke and destruction everywhere. But the Bible predicts that God's fury will rise into his face and God will send supernatural intervention and save his people and wipe out the enemies that come against them. But my only point is we are in a violent world. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that the world was filled with violence. It was violent. And God said, I even regret making man. It's so violent. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again. Way back in the Wild West, the six-shooter was known as the equalizer because it leveled the playing field. Even little scrawny guys were powerful forces to be reckoned with if they had a six-shooter. For a growing number of nations, the nuclear bomb is the 21st century equalizer. The U.S., Britain, China, France, and Russia already have it. India, Israel, and Pakistan are considered threshold countries, and I believe Israel's already got it. And Iran, Iraq, and Libya are nuclear wannabes, and this is insanity. Anyone who would even consider, meditate on, mull over the idea of getting the nuclear bomb is insane. But sin is insane. The middle letter is I, insane. With these facts in mind, what did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are the peacemakers? Who in the world are the peacemakers? And we need a few, amen? We need a few in this world. So what is a peacemaker? May their tribe increase. The peacemakers are children of God who not only love God but also have love for all of mankind and attempt to do everything possible for the advancement of peace. That's a peacemaker. The term peacemakers includes all who make peace between men. Paul wrote and said, as much as lies within you, if it's at all possible, live in peace with all men. Be peacemakers, not peacebreakers. Be peacemakers. Now, I want to be clear about something as I go on and talk about peacemakers. Peacemaking does not mean seeking peace at any cost. The peacemaker realizes that peace at any price, that is pacifism, not defending yourself, laying down and dying, will usually bring complete and total destruction because we live in a world filled with a barbarian mentality. And I'm going to tell you something. We need to go back in history a little bit, folks. Because the reason we can sit here today, more than likely, and the reason the West is free is because a little bald, pudgy fellow named Winston Churchill understood the barbarian mentality. The Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, who was in power as Hitler was taking over the world, did not understand the barbarian mentality. He thought you could drive, fly over to Germany and make peace with Hitler, and he did not know that he went in there and made that so-called peace treaty with Hitler. The minute he walked out the door, they all laughed at him and mocked him. And when he flew back to England and held it up and said, now we have peace, the German monsters, the Nazis, were laughing all the way 
as they continued their quest to dominate the world. Only Winston Churchill understood. The only thing a barbarian mentality understands is it's me or you and it's not going to be me. God give us some people in government, and I mean this, who understand the barbarian mentality because that's what we're dealing with. And I'm not talking about peacemakers being pacifists who just lay down and die and say, well, we, we believe in peace at all costs. No, sometimes the only way you get peace is by cost. The cost of lives, the cost of war, that's the only way the barbarian mentality is subdued. Now, having said that, a peacemaker is not someone with a permanent smile tattooed on his face who doesn't take a position on anything. Peacemaker does not describe someone with an easygoing personality who is nice and amiable and can easily be shoved around. A peacemaker is not a doormat. A peacemaker is somebody who through strength and godly knowledge endeavors to establish a right relationship between his strange parties based on truth and righteousness. The peacemakers are those who have a peaceful spirit, a peaceful disposition. They love, they desire, and they delight in peace. The peacemaker wants to preserve the peace. And when the peace is broken, peacemakers have a great desire to recover it as quickly as possible. A peacemaker, when peace is broken, will be grieved until it's fixed. A peacebreaker, when he sees the peace broken, rejoices in it. But a peacemaker wants to see peace. It says that Jesus went about everywhere doing good, leaving good behind him. When the psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, he wasn't just talking about two blessings, one named goodness and one named mercy, following him around like little puppy dogs the rest of his life. But I think he also meant goodness and mercy shall follow in my wake all the days of my life. Everywhere I've been, I want to leave peace and goodness and mercy behind me because that's the heart of the child of God. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us pursue the things, pursue, chase after, go for the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That should be the heart of every child of God. Now, I learned a long time ago, church, that you can't give what you don't have, and you will never give what you do not have, but you will always give what you do have. If you have turmoil, that's what you'll give. If you have anger, that's what you're going to give. If you have peace, that's what you're going to give because you can't give what you don't have, but we can't help ourselves from giving what we do have. This is why I say hurt people hurt people. Angry people, anger people. And peaceful people, peacefulize. I'm sending that to Webster's. Peaceful people, peacefulize others. Everywhere they go, they try to lead peace. This is what a child of God does. What did Jesus do when he came into your heart? Did he bring turmoil? Well, he convicted you of your sin, and he probably turned your upside world right side up but he brought peace to your soul. Thank God for the peace of God. I'm so thankful that we follow the Prince of Peace. Amen? You shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Peacemakers are able to bring peace because they have peace. 
The cry for peace, if you notice, is growing in our day. Turn on the news. That's all anybody's talking about. Peace, peace. Come on, peace. We need peace, peace, man. Paul the Apostle predicted that in the days preceding the return of Christ, the desire and clamor for peace would dominate people's minds. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2 says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. He won't tell you he's coming. He will not announce his arrival. While they are saying peace and safety, peace and safety, we finally reached peace. No, because then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape because there will be no peace on planet earth, no lasting peace. It's always extremely temporary and extremely fragile. The only time the earth is ever going to have universal peace is when the Prince of Peace returns to the earth, the heavenly Jerusalem is established on earth, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of all peace, rules the world with a rod of peace and a rod of authority. And I'll tell you, soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. But you know, Even so, peace seems so very far away today because man cannot bring peace. Neighbors kill neighbors. Complete strangers kill each other. Brothers murder brothers. Religious factions try to wipe each other out. Tribes trying to exterminate neighboring tribes. Whole nations are trying to eradicate other nations. Or we wouldn't have the nuclear bomb. And where does all this come from? Where does all this violence come from and the lack of peace? Jesus said it all begins with the absence of love in the heart. And so hate in some form or another is rooted in the hearts of those not touched by God's love. See, your heart's got to be touched. We don't need a political peace. We need a transformation peace because it's the heart of man that is sick. It's the heart of man that needs surgery. It's the heart of man that needs to be touched because out of the heart comes murders and hatreds and violence. And when Jesus comes into the heart, he changes the heart. We need heart transplants. We need people changed by the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The moment Jesus died, the entrance to the Holy of Holies, that huge curtain, that huge curtain, thick, powerful, tough, was ripped by an angel of God from top to bottom, opening the way for us to have access to God. After that veil was rent in half, here's what God was saying. Whereas before only the high priest could walk in and enjoy the Shekinah presence of God. Now, whosoever will, let him come to my son. And anyone who comes to my son, the veil has been rent in half. You can walk into the Holy of Holies and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He made all of us priests under the mighty God, our Savior. And see, here's the way it works. When we're at peace with God, we have the peace of God. And when we've got the peace of God, we become peacefulizers. Through his death, Jesus also destroyed another barrier. This is very important. Dividing the wall of hostility between man and his fellow man. There was a wall of hostility. And listen to what Ephesians 2.14 says. For he is himself our peace. He has made us both Jew and Gentile, black and white, red and yellow, all of us, one body. 
and has broken down and destroyed the hostile dividing wall between us so that when God looks at people, He doesn't see black, He doesn't see white, He doesn't see yellow, He doesn't see red. He sees people who He died for. And, and the, the wall of hostility came down. That's why there's no room for prejudice in the house of God because we are all made one. The cross is the great equalizer. There is nobody better and nobody worse at the foot of the cross. The reason that we can love other people and have peace with them, including our enemies, including our enemies, is because Jesus destroyed the hostility between people when he died on the cross. And through him, the Bible says, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace, having made peace, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Amen. So can you say with me, I want to be a peacemaker. This should be a house of peace. Amen. This should be a house of peace. Now the eighth beatitude is this one. This is the last one. I want you to say it with me. Blessed are they who suffer persecution for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we come down to the eighth beatitude, and Jesus says something that doesn't make any sense. It is, it is a dichotomy. It is, it is in directly opposed. There are two things that, that don't agree. How can I be going through something really difficult and be blessed? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Thank you, Lord. I don't feel real blessed when somebody's mocking me, ridiculing me, running me down, speaking evil of me. I don't feel, I don't feel blessed. But it's one of those things where you got to know what he has said. And you'll learn to rejoice even in the presence of persecution. Now in this beatitude, Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who are being persecuted. But the persecuted are suffering not for doing evil, but they're being persecuted for doing right. What an upside-down world we live in. The prophet said, Woe unto you when you call evil good and good evil, right wrong and wrong right, dark light and light dark. But that's what our world is doing. If you want to call right wrong and good bad, you'll be received by this current culture. The persecution they're suffering is because they're doing what is right. He was not talking about those who practice evil like murderers, thieves, or other acts of wickedness. But he's talking about those who because of righteous and godly conversation and godly actions are finding themselves marked out and persecuted. Uh And what brings it on them? What makes people turn on righteous people. Righteous living is what brings upon them the hatred and the disdain of the world. Now, why would that be? If I'm a good citizen, don't get traffic tickets, bless people that curse me, pray for people's salvation. I'm a good person. I'm walking with God. Why would that cause people to put me in the crosshairs of persecution and come against me? Here's why. Because by living righteously, Christians separate themselves from the world and profess themselves to not belong to this world. I got news for you. This is not your home. This is a hotel. I checked into a hotel, and one day I'm checking out. And when I check out, I'm going to heaven. That's my home. This is temporary residence. The godly life of true believers places a brand on them that distinguishes them from the rest of the world. See, when you don't go where they go and do what they do and say what they say and think like they they think, you might as well tell them why you're weird. 
Actually, you might as well tell them why you're normal. Did you know that there's an abundant evidence proving that more Christians around the world have been martyred for their faith in this century alone? Martyred for their faith in this century alone than in the combined previous 19 centuries of the church's history? In many countries today, it's a crime to be a Christian. Can we just tell the truth? We receive all faiths in this nation, and we try not to persecute anybody for their faith. But if we as Christians were to go right now into a fully Muslim country, we would be persecuted, maybe even killed for it. I'm telling you something, there is, there is a huge difference between the two. But to be a Christian can get you killed. As you look around, even in this country, we, we see that many inroads have been made into destroying anything having to do with Jesus Christ, the Bible, or the laws of God. You can't put the commandments on the school wall. Could that be that since thou shalt not kill is on there, the light of the Word of God, because Jesus said the words of God were spirit and they were life, they carry a power all their own. They are a deterrent to wrong activity. Could it be that we got so smart that we took them off that the kids no longer see them? That's why we need metal detectors to get into our schools now. We're terrified that yet another child or a bunch of kids are going to go haywire and start killing people. Could it be because we got so smart we took away from their eyes the Word of God? I'm telling you folks, there's power in the Word. And if any culture needed to hear the Bible, it's our culture. If you look around you, you'll see that the greatest assaults against Christianity in our country have been legal in nature. See, we haven't decided to come out of the closet yet and and beat Christians up for being Christians, but we have been attacked legally. You need only consider the many laws that have been passed recently, all with the ideas of suppressing Christianity to realize that Christians are under persecution in America. Don't give me this stuff about, well, we don't say Merry Christmas because we don't want to offend other faiths. It doesn't offend me if I walk into a mall and they say Happy Hanukkah. That doesn't offend me. If I meet somebody and they tell me they're an atheist, that doesn't offend me. So let's just get real. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is the name. Christ. I just can't hardly say it because there's light in that name. There's power in that name. Demons fear that name. And so if I can erase the name off of the whole landscape of the American culture, then I've succeeded in silencing the conviction of my conscience. Because he's not even mentioned. Jesus. Just go into a crowded elevator and say it. Praise the Lord. Boy, they'll be hitting that emergency button. (laughs) I know what it's like to run from the light. I know what it's like to run from the light. You remember those days? Don't talk to me about Jesus. (laughs) Persecution in the United States is usually verbal in the form of cruel mockings and reproachful language or by confiscation of goods banishment from a group, or even in the workplace where you may be fired, demoted, or spoken against because of your Christian faith. And some of you know what that feels like. I'm not talking about people who are fired 
or receive discipline because they're obnoxious Christians. That's, then you're being persecuted for being obnoxious. But if you're living for Christ in love, doing your best to follow God, and you witness for Him, and you catch fire for it, you're being persecuted because of the name of Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you doubt, if you doubt the persecutorial atmosphere of this country, then tell a group of your friends what the Word of God says about the homosexual lifestyle. And that God says that it is wrong. And then tell them what the Bible says is going to happen to those who engage in it. Go ahead and tell them. We might be visiting you somewhere else next week. Tell a few of your fellow workers what the Bible says about murdering unborn children and that God considers it nothing less than an abomination. Then observe the response from these friends and fellow workers. Most of the time you'll see the seeds of verbal persecution beginning to form. And I want to go on record with something here since I brought up homosexuality that I disagree with and I detest the actions of these so-called Christians we've, many of us have seen on the news who are invading the funerals of fallen servicemen and shouting over the crowd that God killed those brave men and women in retaliation for the sin of homosexuality in America. This is as unchristian as anything I've ever witnessed and I denounce it and I detest it because that is not the truth spoken in love. Homosexuality is a sin against God like any other sin. And who of us can say, I have never sinned so I can point my finger at homosexuality and condemn it? Listen, we all need to be delivered. We've all needed to be set free. We've all needed the mercy of God. But activity like that is loathsome and brings reproach to the name of Christ. But why is there such, persecu such persecution in the world? Why is God so offensive to so many people? Why is God offensive? He loves you. Why? Because the Word of God is a stumbling block to ungodly people. Those who don't know Christ enjoy sinning. In fact, they revel in it. It's all they know. They enjoy partaking in as many sins as possible. Sinning is what gives them pleasure. To sin is to enjoy life. Sin is life. Jesus said... For every wrongdoer hates the light. Every wrongdoer hates the light and will not come out into the light, but shrinks from it, lest his works, his deeds, his activities, and his conduct be exposed and reproved by the light. Jesus said that. And Jesus is the light. And the word that I'm preaching to you is light. And it convicts. So the reason why ungodly people persecute godly people is because of the spirit that the Creator has placed within each one of us. When the unbeliever sins, the Holy Spirit is convicting the spirit of that sinner, and this causes that sinner to know he's doing wrong and that his actions are against the laws of God, are against the laws of God. That's why the things of God and the beliefs of God are constantly being ridiculed in our culture and made fun of. This young lady who a couple of weeks ago was the valedictorian of her class. She stood to bring the valedictorian address. They had told her beforehand, knowing that she was a Christian, they had told her, don't mention Christ, don't mention God, don't mention anything religious, just talk about something else. She said she, that chewed on her, that bothered her, that convicted her. Finally, she said, I can't do it. She stood up and she said, I am so thankful to Jesus Christ 
for forgiving me of my sins. I would not be standing here today if it had not been for my Lord Jesus Christ. And they cut the mic. They killed the mic. And she was suddenly just speaking to a microphone. And the whole thing was upset and cut short. And now I have found out that that school received praise from the ACLU, otherwise known as the Against Christian Liberties Union. And said, way to go. You did the right thing by cutting her mic. Can I just go ahead and say it today? No, she did the right thing by giving praise to God. Jesus said that the world hates him and the light because they hate light, righteousness, and truth. They hate him because he exposes their evil. That's what Jesus said. He exposed my evil when I got saved, when I got convicted and saved. He exposed my evil, and that's what saved me. Jesus also told his disciples they were his servants, and if the master is hated, then the servants of the master are also going to be hated. It's like someone who hates a person of a different race. Usually that person will also hate all others in that entire race. Or let's use another analogy. If a man hates his neighbor, he will usually also hate the man's wife and children because they're connected to who they hate. In fact, he will many times even hate those who come and visit that neighbor. Have you ever had somebody, a friend, hated? And when you went and hung around them, comforted them, helped them, you got hated too because you got around them? Then should it make us wonder that they hate him? And when his kids come along talking about their faith, when his kids come along and say, he saved my soul, they hate them too. It is our godly life that convicts others. It's a godly life that shines the light into the dark. It's a godly life that causes the other person to get heated up, upset, and unhappy. The Bible says that everyone who lives a godly life in Jesus Christ will be. Everyone who lives a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Isn't that good news? <laughs> if no one is persecuting you, it may be that you're not living the Christian life and shining as lights in the world. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's as much a promise is, as, as is, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you live a godly life, you will be persecuted on some level or another. It may not be rocks flying your way, but you're going to have people saying things under their breath, turning the other way, avoiding you in the street, talking about you behind your back, talking about you behind closed doors because you're a believer. But that's okay. Jesus said you ought to celebrate when that happens. Listen to what Jesus said. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. When the world applauds you, appreciates you, and commends you instead of persecuting you, you may want to check out your walk. When the world laughs along with you and pats you on your back, that's a clear indicator that you have been absorbed into the world because you're not standing out. Well, I'm a Christian on Sunday. I come into church on Sunday and I praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I'm a silent witness out there. I never understood that. What is a silent witness? You talk about an opposition in terms. Silent witness. It doesn't work. Oh, I know. You think Jesus is going to ooze out of the pores of your skin. 
or that he's going to stand above your head and say, Christian. <laughs> I'm just having fun, sort of. <laughs> Persecution is the cost of red-letter living. Living life in obedience to Christ, red-letter living is going to get you persecuted on some level or another because the believer can count on troubles and hardships because of their godly lives. Mm -hmm. It may happen to you at home. You may be married to somebody lost and they persecute you. It can happen at work. They know you're a believer and they make fun of you and persecute you. Why won't you go with us after work? Why won't you do the things we do? When they enter into their conversations, what they did over the weekends, all the sinful activity, you can't enter in. They say, what did you do? Oh, well, you know, I went to church. What else did you do? Some of us went to church too. (laughs) Oh, you know, I just kind of stayed home, hung around, prayed a little bit. Prayed? Wow, really? Yeah. Mm. And you walk away, can you believe that? And they prayed. Read a Bible? What's the matter with that? Freaks, you know, religious right wing fanatics, <laughs> dangerous people. <laughs> and next time you come up towards the group, they've changed. You walk up, hey, hey, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. You walk away, they go back to living just like they always do. You see, folks, listen, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Persecution is the cause of red-letter living. Even though it's not pleasant, it brings many rewards. Did you know that? Listen to what Jesus said. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit you. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. (laughs) For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Peter said, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, happy, and to be envied because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I'm not telling you to go out and look for it. I've never had to look for it. It's always come my way. If I live for God, I'm going to catch some persecution one way or another. In America, it's probably going to be verbal, but it's going to happen. That's all right. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. God has touched your life. You're taking a stand for Him. That means you're not a phony. It means you're not religious. It means your faith is real. It means that you're willing to pay a price for the one who paid the ultimate price for you. Don't be afraid of being persecuted. Don't care about what people think. They like you one day. Don't like you the next like you again the next week, decide you're not to be talked to the next week. I mean, it goes back and forth. They are fickle as the weather is fickle. Just care about the applause of heaven. When persecution comes into your life, you can count on four things. I'm going to read them quickly and we'll close. You can count on the fact that Jesus is truly your Lord, and that's why you're being persecuted. Second, that you are not worldly, for the people of this world are not persecuted. 
Third, that you are in very good company with many other saved Christians. Peter said, knowing this, that the same afflictions that are being accomplished throughout the world and your brethren are what you're experiencing right now. You're experiencing what the rest of your brethren in the world have been experiencing. And the fourth thing, eternal life is yours. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you get persecuted, praise His name. It'll hurt, but praise His name anyway. You may have some misery over it if you're living with somebody persecuting you. Praise His name anyway. The Spirit of God and of glory is resting on you. So can we stand together? And we're going to say something together as we close. Say with me, would you? Blessed are those who work to bring peace. God will call them His children. And blessed are the persecuted for the sake of righteousness. They are heaven-bound. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to I pray for you. I want to pray that our church is a light, and wherever we do end up, it'll only be so we can grow and reach people with the gospel and love people. Father, I just thank you. There's no condemnation here today. I don't condemn anyone, Lord. We've all been in sin. We've all miserably failed you. We would all have been lost forever had it not been for the sheer mercy and grace of God. We thank you, Lord, for plucking us out of the darkness. We pray for the freedom of everyone in this room. We pray for the salvation of thousands out there who need to know Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray for those, Lord, here today who have been persecuted for being a Christian. That you'll comfort them, assure them with your promises. Let your word come alive in their heart. I pray for those, Lord, who are in a troubled situation that peace that you'll release the, the peace of God and anoint them to be a peacemaker as much as lies within them. I pray for peace to come to their home, peace to come to their job, peace to come to their marriage. I pray, Lord, that you will help us wherever we go to be peacemakers and not peace breakers. Lord, we pray for President Bush and the government, that you will give them the wisdom of a serpent and the gentleness of a dove. Give them the wisdom to know a barbarian mentality. And Lord, keep people in power who understand what it takes to keep peace. Thank you, Lord, for peace. And thank you, Lord, for the fruit that comes from persecution. Thank you, Lord.